about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The first reading from Isaiah 35, um, and we're reading the whole thing, but it's not super long. Um, it's on page 709 of these Bibles. The desert and the parched land will be glad, and the wilderness will will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom, it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. There, uh, sorry, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The bursting sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go on about it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. And they will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They'll enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Hi everyone, my name's Jess. And I'll be reading from Acts chapter 3. And that's found on page 1079. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. 
and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given the complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to to be here tonight and to have this privilege to stand before you and speak from God's word. Um, it's, a, it's a long passage, but it's, it's a good one. It's one that I'm excited uh, to speak on tonight. Um, we get this familiar scene as we go through the book of Acts. Uh, we get this scene of a miracle, a bunch of people gather, and then a message. We get a, a sign that takes place, followed by a sermon. Twelve times we see this uh, through the book of Acts, and it's the same as happening here tonight. So... We're about to get into it, but before we do, how about I pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we we come to your word tonight uh, knowing that um, we have nothing on our own and we need your help. So Lord, please, will you speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit speak to us, change us. Uh, so that we can live for you and love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Acts 3, it'd be great if you have that open. Um, We're going to go through it pretty quickly and then talk a bit at the end about what this means for us. Okay, so verse 1. One day, Peter and John go to the temple at the time of prayer, about three in the afternoon. Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard that one of the things the early church did daily was to gather to pray. This is what they're doing. It's a very common thing. Now, verse 2. Now, a crippled man, oh, sorry, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple uh, gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. 
Now, a few things to notice here. Obviously, he, he was crippled. That says he had been this way from birth. Um, he wasn't a little bit crippled. It says he couldn't walk. Other people had to carry him every day where he, uh, he could beg for money in the temple courts. Now, if we read a bit further on, it says that this crippled man was over 40 years old. So for years, day after day, week after week, he'd been carried by others to the temple to beg. This was his life. Now, this was a thing that people did day after day. They went to the temple to pray. So everyone who went there would know this man. He would be in the same spot day after day. So when people turned up for prayer, they would have seen him. They would know who this guy is. Now, just for a second, I want, you, want us all to try and imagine what life would be like for this man. For 40 years, begging in the temple court, unable to work, relying completely on other people for everything that he has. Now, by anyone's standards, this is not a good life, is it? But this was going to be a different day for this crippled man. Have a look at verse 3. When, Peter, uh, sorry, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, I'm sure Peter and John had seen this crippled man before. Maybe they'd given him money. Maybe they'd sort of walked past, looking in the other way, checking their phone, so they pretend like they didn't see him. But this day was different. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. This is a good day for this crippled beggar. Someone has stopped and has spoken to him and says he's going to give him something. He's all ears. But I think Peter's response must have been really disappointing for this crippled man. Verse 5. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have. Sorry, mate. Left my wallet at home. I'm out of money. Sorry about that. I'm guessing he's pretty disappointed. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He didn't just ask him to look at him so he could tell him that. Verse 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now again, imagine this scene. Imagine what's happening for this crippled man. He asked Peter and John for money. They say, we don't have money, but what we do have, we give to you. And they say, get up and walk. And he does. He's healed. For 40 years, this guy has been crippled, can't walk, completely relying on other people. And all of a sudden, he can walk, he can jump. It's an amazing story. The Greek word here, actually, for the word jump isn't jump. It's the word leap. It says he was walking and leaping and praising God. Now, you might go, whatever, <laughs> what's the difference? But I looked him up in the dictionary because I thought, well, maybe, maybe there is a bit of a difference here. So I looked him up. So jump, jump means, this is a pretty uh, technical definition, it says, 
to push oneself off the surface into the air by using the muscles in one's legs and feet. So, push off oneself off the surface into the air by using one's... Like that. It's huh? a jump. Yeah, yeah thanks. Uh, I was going to get Tim to come up and help me, but he, he, he wasn't keen. I can't imagine why. Um, the weird thing is, often in the dictionary, they'll put it in a sentence to, just to help you. Weirdest sentence ever. Okay, this is, what, this is their example sentence for jump. It says, he jumped 25 feet to the ground. He jumped 20 and died. Like, that's, that's just stupid. Anyway. Okay, leap. So that's jump. Leap. Leap says to spring a long way. Okay, so what am I going to do? So go for it. Okay. Uh, so a bit of a difference there. I, as um, Andrew just said, I got married about a month ago. month tomorrow, actually. Better get some flowers. Uh, And one of the photos we got uh, with the bridal party, all the, all the groomsmen lined up, and we said, let's all leap into the air, and when we're in the air, we'll, we'll get a photo. And six out of the seven people were all, you know, like this, up in the air, except for one of my mates who, well, some have described him as a bit of a robot. He, this is how he jumped. <laughs> so everyone's doing this, and then this one guy like this. I think, I think that's the difference between a leap and a jump. Anyway, we're going to come back to that. Just keep that in the back of your heads. We'll come back to that later. But what we've seen is a miracle. A man, 40 years old, crippled from birth, can't even move, can't walk, has to get people to carry him to the temple so he can beg, healed instantly. It's, it's a miracle. There's no other explanation. Even the crowd knows this. Have a look at verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what, they, uh, what had happened to him. Of course they were. They've just witnessed something amazing. This man they've seen every day, year after year, begging because he was crippled, running around, jumping, leaping, praising God. This was a miracle. Now, what this meant was they all ran to Peter and John. Now, this is fair enough. If, if you had witnessed a miracle like this, wouldn't you want to go and see the people who performed it? I know I would. Anyway, what does Peter do? Have a look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Now, this is going to be a huge crowd. It says in the next chapter that over 2,000 of the people from this crowd, turn to Jesus. So this is a large crowd. And this is what Peter says. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Now Peter wants to be really clear at this stage. It wasn't him that performed the miracle. It wasn't John. It wasn't their power or their godliness. They didn't have some special gift that the rest of us don't have. But even more than that, he asked the question, why are you even surprised that this happened? Now, I think I'd be pretty surprised if that happened, but he doesn't seem to be. Why are you surprised that there's a lame man walking and leaping and praising God? Now, this is where the message starts. The miracle's over. 
This gives Peter an opportunity to speak to this large crowd. The miracle leads to the message. But just before we have a look at it, I wonder, what would you say in this situation? If you were Peter or John, what would you say? Would you take credit for the miracle? Yeah, I did that. See that guy? I did that. Pretty good. Maybe you'd get the guy to come up and say, okay, tell us. Tell us about your life before the miracle. Tell us about your life after. Maybe you'd give it another go. You'd find another, another guy who's got something wrong with him and go, come up here and, and try and heal him as well. What would you do? Well, let's have a look at what Peter says. Now, I reckon this has got to be one of the most offensive sermons that's ever been preached. It really takes the pressure off me tonight. I reckon I could say pretty much anything I wanted and it wouldn't be as offensive as what Peter says here. So let's have a look and see what's so offensive about what he says. So verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers. He's saying this is your God. The crowd he's speaking to are Jews. Your God has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man was made strong. It was Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. This is some offensive accusations. He doesn't mix his words here. Have a look what he says. He says to the crowd, you handed Jesus over to be killed. Can you imagine actually saying this? If, he, if this crowd that he's accusing them did kill Jesus, what are they going to do to him? This is some bold words. You handed Jesus over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. We read in the Gospels that Pilate interviewed Um, Jesus and said I find nothing in him worthy of death but they cried out all the more crucify him says you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead of releasing Jesus they released Barabbas a murderer and finally just in case that wasn't enough the last nail in the coffin you killed the author of life They would rather have a murderer than the author of life. They would rather have someone that takes life rather than the author of life. You killed the one that your own God sent to save you. These are offensive words. But there's also a little bit of good news in the midst of that. I don't know if you saw that says, Jesus, the servant that God sent. Jesus is God's servant sent by God. And more than that, it says that God glorified this servant. Now, doesn't sound that good. He was killed. How was he glorified? Well, verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Jesus is the author of life. 
you have life because he authored it. That's what he's saying. And you killed him. But God raised him up and he's glorified his servant. And more than that, it is through this glorified servant of God that this crippled man is healed. Have a look at verse 16. He says, in response to how has this healing taken place, he says, it is by faith in the name of Jesus, the one that you killed and God raised, that this man has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given him this complete healing, as you can all see. So what's the explanation for the healing? They didn't do it. Peter says it is through the name of Jesus Christ, God's servant who was crucified, who was raised by God, it is through Jesus that this man was healed. Now, how do you reckon you'd be feeling if you're in this crowd at this moment? I can't imagine you feeling that good. God has sent his servant, you've disowned him, you've killed him, and God's raised him from the dead. And this healing that's taken place is evidence of that. Now things aren't looking too good for the crowd. So what does Peter say next? We'll have a look at verse 17. Now brothers. Now it's a pretty interesting line to say after you've just accused all these people of killing Jesus. But I think the reason Peter can say brothers is because he too disowned Jesus. Do you remember the night before Jesus was crucified, three times Peter was asked, aren't you one of the disciples? Don't you know Jesus? And three times he said, I do not know him. I do not know the man. This is why you can call them brothers. Have a look again at 17. Brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Christ would suffer. Here I think we see the amazing sovereignty of God at work. God can even use the people that killed Jesus to bring about his own purposes. We see human responsibility. These people are completely guilty. But we see God in his goodness foretelling that this would happen to bring about the salvation of his people. This is an amazing thing that we see here. These people were guilty, but God has used the one and the same action to bring about his plans. There's two intentions, one that's evil, one that's good. And God has used both of them to bring about his perfect plan. So we're left with, what does Peter tell these people to do? We'll have a look in 18. Repent then and turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing might come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who he has appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he had promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, I don't want us to miss this. This is stunning what happens here. Like, do you see what's happening? 
Peter looks at the people who have killed Jesus and says to them, repent and turn back to God. He looks at the people who killed the author of life and says, come back to that God. Now, one commentator that I read as I was preparing this sermon said, a better translation for turn is the word flee. Now, I would have expected Peter to say, flee from God, run, he's after you. But instead, what he calls for these people to do is to repent and flee to God. That's an amazing thing. I think this is God's grace in its fullness. God is willing to forgive even the very people who killed his son. Jesus died for the people who killed him. Remember what Jesus even said when he was on the cross. As he's hanging there in the agony of the cross, he called out to his father and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the love and grace of God. Do you know this grace? But more than just telling them to repent and turn back to God, he gives them three incentives to turn back. Did you see those? Forgiveness, refreshment, and restoration. Let's have a look at them. So verse 19, repent and turn that your sins might be wiped out. Now the word translated wiped out means a raise, it means to cause something to cease, it means to eliminate, to do away with. It's the same word that they used to use for the, the parchments that they used to write on when they would wipe them clean and start again. Things were completely removed and they could start again. That's the word. The same word's used in Colossians 2 where it says, this is God, has cancelled the record of debt that stood against us. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. For those who repent and turn to God, he says, he has cancelled your debt. He wipes it away. He completely removes it at his cross. And he did this for the people that killed him. This is amazing. But more than just forgiveness, it says he also offers refreshment. Repent then and turn back to God that your sins might be wiped out and that times of refreshing might come from the Lord. Now again, the Greek word here for refreshment means relief from a distressful circumstance. And this is a pretty distressful circumstance for these people. They've realized they've killed the author of life. This is a distressful situation. So this message of forgiveness would be an amazing relief to these people. But there's even more than that. With this refreshment comes a restored relationship. So there's forgiveness and there's relief for those who uh, repent and turn to God. But there's also restoration. Now, when we look at this restoration, there's more to it that I... Don't have time to go into tonight. If you want to talk to me more about it, come and, come and see me afterwards. But for now, what I want to say in terms of this restoration is that there is a time coming where this raised Jesus will come again and restore this world. There is forgiveness and refreshment now, and there is a time coming in the future where Jesus will restore all things. Now, this is where 
we get back to the word leaped. Remember that from earlier on? Earlier I said that the, the crippled man didn't just jump, but he leaped. Now, in the Old Testament, God foretold that this day would happen. In our first reading, our first Bible reading tonight, we looked at Isaiah 35. And in the, the Greek, we have that same word, leaped. Using, uh, he's used it to speak of a day when God would come and restore his people. So let me read to you a few words from Isaiah. It says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the leap, oh, sorry, then will the lame leap like a deer, and the lame tongue shout for joy. Then they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be the crown of their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee forever. This is the picture that Peter presents for God's people. No wonder Peter asks, why are you surprised? This is exactly what God said was going to take place. The healing of this crippled man points to the beginning of God's promises of this restoration. Now again, the same word that we looked at before for wiped out is also used in another context in the New Testament, that beautiful passage in Revelation 21, where God says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the restoration that is coming for God's people. Not only will sin be forgiven, but there will be complete restoration. No more crying, no more pain, no more death. This is a beautiful picture of the future. So there it is. We've got a miracle. We've got a message. But you might be thinking, well, what's, what's that got to do with us 2,000 years later? What's the big deal? Well, I'm glad you asked. And uh, this is where I guess my message could get a little bit offensive too. But hopefully we can see the goodness in this. So what Peter said to his audience 2,000 years ago when he said, you killed Jesus, that applies to us too. Now we weren't there, we weren't physically there, but we too have disowned Jesus. We too have disowned the holy and righteous God. We may not have asked for a murderer to be released instead of Jesus, but we love these same sorts of things. In the first song we sung tonight, it says, we love darkness and not light. It says that we love evil instead of good. We live our own ways and reject the God who made us, the author of life. We would rather, like them, have someone that takes life than the author of life himself. We reject the God who not only created us, but also came to save us. We are no less responsible than they are. It was our sin, as well as theirs, that killed Jesus. Jesus didn't die because people killed him. 
Jesus died because that was God's plan for our salvation. God raised him up and he comes not with wrath but with mercy, like Peter, offering forgiveness and cleansing to all of us who will repent and turn back to God. Yet, like Peter's audience, we must also hear the warning that he gives. With the author of salvation, there comes a warning to those who will continue to resist and disown the risen Lord Jesus. Have a look at verse 23. He says, Anyone who does not listen to him, that is Jesus, will be cut off from among his people. That is a scary warning. So listen to God's word today. God has raised Jesus to life and he offers us forgiveness and cleansing from our guilt, from our shame, from our sin. Just like Peter could stand and call the people that killed Jesus to repent and turn back to God, so likewise we too are called to repent and turn back to the living God for forgiveness. We're like the crippled man. We are helpless. We cannot save ourselves. But Jesus has done what we cannot do. Repent, therefore. Turn back to God. Flee to God that your sins might be wiped out, that times of refreshing might come. Have you experienced this refreshing? Have you experienced this forgiveness of sins? It's a wonderful thing. There's no better feeling in this life than to know that your sin and your guilt has been taken away, not just in the past, but in the present and in the future. All of our sin dealt with. That is why Jesus died. Now, we're about to sing, and then we're going to stand. Oh, sorry, we're going to stand and sing, and then we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. So tonight, if you're a Christian, as you come and as you take this bread and the wine, as you eat and drink, remembering that your sins have been dealt with, have been wiped away by Jesus, like the crippled man, praise God. Praise God for what he's done. Remember what he has done for you and praise him. But can I just speak to you tonight for a moment if you are not a Christian? Can I plead with you? Hear Peter's words today. He says, repent and turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Now, if you're willing to do this, the promise is there. Your sins will be dealt with. They will be forgiven. You will have eternal life with him. Now, if that is you, if you are willing to do this tonight, then why don't you come to and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us? What an amazing way to turn to God in repentance and faith by coming and celebrating and remembering what Christ has done for you. What an amazing thing that would be. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.